Hey there, welcome to Wednesday's Richie Allen Show, the 20th of September 2023. I've got a really interesting program lined up for you today. Thank you for joining me. Reach out to me during the program via my website or via the Richie Allen Show app then. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, a little bit later on in the program, in the second hour, Nikita Stark will be with me. She has said, has Nikita, that a beautiful birth is healing to anyone who witnesses it. That she thinks about it 24-7 and how to improve the birthing experience. How many women have a beautiful experience while giving birth and why is it important? Nikita runs When Push Comes to Shove. Check out the website whenpushcomestoshove.co.uk. We'll speak with her a bit later on. I cannot wait. Before that, Kate Shemarani returns to the programme. Looking forward to Kate too. Uh, Kate is the natural uh, nurse in a toxic world. She broadcasts these days for UNN and TNT. I've asked her to chat with me a little bit about Lucy Letby, the nurse who was sentenced to life in prison for murdering babies, seven babies, and attempting to murder six others at a hospital in Chester between 2015 and 2016. There are a number of voices uh, proclaiming or saying that all is not right with that conviction. We'll talk with Kate this hour about that. And that's pretty much Wednesday's programme. Yeah, looking forward to it. As I said, drop me a line, please. I look, I, I love hearing from you. Now, there's so much to cover in 25 minutes. I better jump in. Rishi Sunak has been speaking this afternoon. The newspapers and the broadcast and the, 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 the news programmes went big this morning on news that Sunak would water down some of his government's biggest net zero commitments, including plans to phase out the installation of new gas boilers and delaying a ban on the sale of new diesel and petrol cars, right? You could hear the progressive screams from the Green Party and the Guardian and the climate evangelicals losing their collective excrement. Oh, this is terrible for the planet. Let's have a listen. BBC News, the Twitter account for BBC News, is updating with their clips as Sunak has been speaking since around about 4.35. Here's some of what Sunak had to say about this explaining himself. And now it is time to address the bigger long-term questions we face. The real choice confronting us is do we really want to change our country and build a better future for our children? Or do we want to carry on as we are? I've made my decision. We are going to change. And over the coming months, I will set out a series of long-term decisions to deliver that change. And that starts today with a new approach to one of the biggest challenges we face, climate change. No one can watch the floods in Libya or the extreme heat in Europe this summer and doubt that it is real and happening. We must reduce our emissions. And when I look at our economic future, I see huge opportunities in green industry. The change in our economy is as profound as the Industrial Revolution, and I'm confident that we can lead the world now as we did then. 
So I'll have no truck with anyone saying we lack ambition. But there's nothing ambitious about simply asserting a goal for a short-term headline without being honest with the public about the tough choices and sacrifices involved and without any meaningful democratic debate about how we get there. The Climate Change Committee have rightly said you don't reach net zero simply by wishing it. Yet that's precisely what previous governments have done, both Labour and Conservative. No one in Westminster politics has yet had the courage to look people in the eye and explain what's really involved. That's wrong, and it changes now. The plans made on your behalf assume this country will take an extraordinary series of steps that will fundamentally change our lives. A ban on buying new boilers, even if your home will never ever be suitable for a heat pump. A ban that takes effect in just three years for those off the gas grid. And mandatory home upgrades for property owners in just two years' time. There have even been proposals for taxes on eating meat, new taxes on flying, compulsory car sharing if you drive to work, and a government diktat to sort your rubbish into seven different bins. Now, I believe deeply that when you ask most people about climate change, they want to do the right thing. They're even prepared to make sacrifices. But it cannot be right for Westminster to impose such significant costs on working people, especially those who are already struggling to make ends meet, and to interfere so much in people's way of life without a properly informed national debate. He sounds lovely, doesn't he? He sounds lovely. He says, we don't like these ideas. Taxing, meat, car sharing, very expensive flights, seven bins uh, for people to sort out their rubbish. We can't do that. We can't inflict that on people, said Sunak. And that is what he has been saying this afternoon. And that is what the press has been preoccupied with today. Do you believe him? Does it matter? Maybe, does it, I ask, does it matter? Because it seems inevitable that Rishi Sunak will be in power. He's not really in power. But he will be occupying number 10 Downing Street only for as long as he can hold off on calling the next general election. And then Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner and that mob will come in and will basically undo everything he set out today, which is basically a rollback on the ban of sales of new petrol and diesel cars and a rollback on forcing people to put expensive and uh, not tested, it must be said, heat pumps into their homes in place of gas boilers. I'd love your thoughts on this, richieallen.co.uk or leave a message via the app. Right, I won't play any more of him, but needless to say, this hasn't gone down well with the Green Party. The Green Party. And by the way, Susanna Reid, who presents for Good Morning Britain, had a very interesting question for Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, when she was doing the media round this morning. I just thought it was interesting. You might think it's something of nothing. The fact of the matter is you are rolling back on measures to protect the climate. Measures to protect the climate. To protect the climate. How do you protect the climate? Anyway, I, I just thought. Anyway, Carla Denyer, if I pronounced it properly, Denyer is the co-leader of the Green Party. She was on Politics Live on BBC Two this afternoon. What said the Green Party co-leader about these Rishi Sunak plans? The UK was already not doing enough on climate change. And this is the Prime Minister making a 
dangerous and desperate U-turn, throwing the UK economy, as we've heard from businesses, the well-being of our its citizens and the future livability of our planet out the window. Uh, the future livability of our planet out the window. Sunak has thrown the future livability of the planet. Our planet out the window. Out the window. For what? To chase a few votes from climate doubters um, in the next general election and their mates in the fossil fuel industry. Do it, you doubt the climate, dear listener? Do you doubt that we have a climate? It, it really made me feel a bit sick when I heard the news last night because it seems that the Prime Minister doesn't care about the consequences, which will be higher energy bills for everyone, colder homes, worse health, fewer jobs, more dirty air and more climate chaos. Ironically, everything she accused Sunak of ushering in with his rollback, it's pretty much what the Greens want and the climate evangelicals. Their plans, if we go along with them, with the heat pumps and all of that jazz, all of that nonsense, by their own admission, as the manufacturers of heat pumps say they don't work, they're not good enough. The Greens want, the Greens have a plan. I mean, the Greens will never, well, maybe maybe I should never say never. Maybe the Greens will prop up Labour in a Green Party, Lib Dem, Labour Party coalition after the next election. Maybe they will. The Greens want to fix thermostats at 19 degrees in Britain's homes in the winter. Do you know that? And I am not making that up. They want to fix the thermostats so that granny and granddad, who needed to be a little bit warmer than 19 degrees in their living rooms in the winter, that's what these lunatics want to bring in. Everything she accused Sunak of ushering in, and I can't stand Sunak, just in case you happen to be new to the programme, um, it's pretty much what their plans will result in in any case. Denier from the Greens not happy, putting the livability of planet at risk to win a few climate denier votes. Wow. A good morning Britain then, the environmental campaigner Chris Packham was on this morning and the presenter Richard Maidley had a bone to pick with the environmental campaigner Chris Packham. Climate change protesters have been left fuming this morning at the Prime Minister's reported moves to roll back on his net zero commitments. Wildlife presenter and environmentalist Chris Packham is so disappointed with the government's failure to implement climate policies that he is now considering breaking the law himself and risking prison in the name of saving the planet, something he explores in a Channel 4 documentary airing tonight. And Chris joins us now. Well, can we just quote to you what you say? Th that's amazing timing, that, isn't it? That Channel 4, on the day that Rishi Sunak announces that he's going to push back the ban on petrol and diesel cars, new petrol and diesel cars, from 2030 to 2035. Isn't it a wonderful coincidence, happenstance, that Packham's documentary will go out on Channel 4 tonight, where he talks about breaking the law, you know, the, the need to break the law to, to convince everybody that we are in climate chaos. I don't believe in coincidence. Hey, at the very end of the documentary, because this summarises really what your journey of discovery takes you on. You say, it's time for me to make up my own mind and decide if I should break the law. For me, myself, I'm not asking for anyone to break the law so long as no one's hurt. I give my support to people who break the law for climate change. I have to raise my voice. I have reached a point where I now consider it ethically the reasonable thing to do. Now, for Chris Packham, mainstream environmentalist, mainstream television presenter in our living rooms most Sundays, if he says that law-breaking in this context 
is ethical and you support it, that is a big step. Well, that's going out on Channel 4 tonight, not some obscure YouTube channel. That's going out on Channel 4. Yeah, Are you sure you've done the right thing? Have you done the right thing, Christopher? Well, look, um, has Rishi Sunak done the right thing today? We're reining in on our net zero commitments. The UK should be a world leader. We have the capability to see opportunities when it comes to addressing climate breakdown, not, not just problems, investment in those sorts of industries. We're heading in completely the wrong direction. At this point, it's critical, therefore, that climate protesters have their voice heard. And what we've seen, and we see in our documentary, is that we have been raising that voice legitimately and democratically and peacefully, but it's not being heard. So let's be very clear. What our documentary says is... There's no incitement from us to break the law, but there are very clear predictions that is, that is what is likely to happen. That's what's likely to happen. Not inciting people to break the law if we don't get our own way on climate change, but it's going to happen anyway, says Pack. And what did Maidley come back with? Because it's you that's endorsing it and saying, I don't condemn you if you do this. It might sway them to do something which could end up killing somebody. The whole point is that at the moment... 10,000 people have been washed away in Libya. I don't need to give you the figures. The, you've watched and, and on, on your programme showed people the world's being flooded, it's on fire. Mm -hmm. You know, millions of people's lives are at risk and yet we still <clears throat> have uh, politicians, as uh, of this morning, making entirely the wrong decisions. Now, whilst we have the capacity to protest peacefully, that's what we should be doing. I continue to protest peacefully. I will use my imagination, my creativity to come up with peaceful, democratic uh, means to protest. Mm. But what the documentary says, that if we are not listened to, there will be those who will have to have their voice heard and they'll make a louder noise. But what gives you the right to be... make that call? For example, for example, there will be those who will draw the parallel between what you're saying and what one of the political elements of the wing of the IRA or of ISIS, would say, to justify violence in support of the cause. Yeah, 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 yeah. Richard Madeley and Chris Packham there. I do believe, my friend, that the eggs will be placed carefully in the climate change basket from, from now on in. It's going to be... It's where a lot of it is going to be played out now in the coming weeks and months. No doubt about that. As I spoke about a week or so ago, the energy bill, the UK government's energy bill and the tyranny of that. And I know tyranny has become a bit of a cliche and a, a throwaway term, but it really is. And, and we'll talk, obviously, more about that as it progresses. But the impositions they plan, you know, on, on, on throwing at, at homeowners in this country and business owners, effectively rendering people's properties worthless if people don't spend tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds jumping through hoops to, to get an energy performance certificate, rating of C or B or whatever it might be in the future. Failure to do that will result in an embargo being placed on your home, you being told you can't sell your home. I'm not making any of this up, by the way. So all of this is happening at the same time. As we laughed at, loudly laughed at last year, do you remember last year, people phoning the UK's national talk, talk shows were calling for daily climate briefings because it's such a serious issue now. Climate breakdown is so deadly serious. We should do what they did in the COVID. They should do a climate briefing every day. I do feel that... Every week on the television, there should be the Prime Minister flanked by two climate scientists explaining what has been done to mitigate climate change. Mm. And that's not happening. Yeah, and, and explaining that we need to have some sort of climate lockdown, 
which I've talked about. Remember Baroness Jenny Jones? I'm afraid net zero isn't where we should be going. We should be going to real zero. And so we, we've got to take this much more seriously than any any government in the UK. They used to lock up nutters like her, you know, crazy cat women. Uh, net zero is no good. We need to get to real zero. Real zero is basically the, the death of everything on the planet that breeds. Real zero. <laughs> throw, throw a cat at somebody. <laughs> we need to get to real zero. You crazy cow. I know it's terrible to speak about somebody in those terms. But that's madness, isn't it? Have you got anything to say on that, dear listener? You old feckers. Uh, reach out to me via the website or via the app. Um, John Stott says, I preferred Johnny Morris and Terry Nutkins to Chris Packham. Indeed. Hi to Rob. Hi to King of. The greens are not green, Richie. They're red. Good point. Sean says, reduce emissions. I'm having a bonfire. It still uses less energy than a trip to the tip. Good man. Zephron says, what a bloody hypocrite all. Uh, see, there's an election coming up. Well, this is it, Zephron. Rishi Sunak can stand there and say that he can't bankrupt the British people in the pursuit of net zero. It sounds lovely. And I'm sure some conservatives will lap it up. They'll be, you know, they'll be happy about that. Yeah, that's good. But um, he won't be in government for much longer. It's a racing certainty. You know, we used to talk about a one-horse race when we were younger. That used to happen sometimes, once in a blue moon, or a two-horse race in, in, in horse racing. It, it is an absolute nailed-on guarantee that the next government will either be Labour or a Labour-led coalition. So it matters not. And all of this will be thrown out the window when that happens. Hi to Mike. Good evening, Mike. Uh, sorry, Rishi. He said, just fake off blaming a bit of weather on climate change. Stop trying to bankrupt the country with lies. Just my opinion towards the little toad, Richie. I'm not alone, though, I don't imagine. You're not alone, Mike, in Hull. Thank you. And thanks for all your messages. They are pouring in. Elizabeth said seven bins. How many are there now in the UK? There are four, Elizabeth. We have a bin for food waste and for garden waste. We have a bin for general waste which cannot be recycled. And we have a bin for cardboard and paper. And we have a bin for tins, tins or cans, aluminium and bottles. There are four. Sunak says that some in his government were, were pushing for things like car sharing before you drive. You know, you cannot drive unless you've got so many people in your car. Taxes on meat and all of that. He's basically playing the hero. But I held off these loonies, because I don't want to bankrupt the British economy and the British people, says Rishi Sunak. Don't believe him. Now, Jacinda Ardern is a former Prime Minister of New Zealand and addressed the UN General Assembly yesterday and had a warning for the UN General Assembly. She said, free speech is no picnic. It's no picnic, dear listener. Free speech, in fact, is a weapon of war. And therefore, we have to censor people, said Jacinda Ardern speaking to the UN General Assembly. They are terrible, these people, aren't they? Listen to Ardern. This week we launched an initiative alongside companies and non-profits to help improve research and understanding of how a person's online experiences are curated by automated processes. This will also be important in understanding more about mis- and disinformation online, a challenge that we must, as leaders, address. Sadly, I think it's easy to dismiss this problem as one in the margins. 
I can certainly understand the desire to leave it to someone else. As leaders, we're rightly concerned that even the most light-touch approaches to disinformation could be misinterpreted as being hostile to the values of free speech that we value so highly. But while I cannot tell you to... Yeah, that's called speaking out of both sides of your mouth. We value free speech and it's important to our democracy. But we're going to trample all over it. The online harms bill is passed in the UK. We talked about it yesterday. It is awaiting royal assent from jug ears and that batshit crazy missus of his. As they're currently in Paris at the Elysee Palace. Comparing palaces, I presume, with Emmanuel Macron. Well, our drawing room's a bit bigger than that, Emmanuel. I I don't know about you. So when he gets back, he'll sign off on the online harms bill. And then big tech companies will be told to remove content which is not illegal, but uh, might be harmful to people. Yeah. More from Jacinda. Today, what the answer is to this challenge, I can say with complete certainty that we cannot ignore it. To do so poses an equal threat to the norms we all value. After all, how do you successfully end a war? I'd love to take a banjo to her and to people like her. A banjo or a ukulele. It's better than an electric guitar. Jacinda Ardern. I don't have time to do the... Do I? I do. There's news on cashless society. There's news on the race to cashless. Coming out of Ireland and indeed the Morning Ireland programme in Ireland with Mary. Cash is king, so the saying goes, and public bodies are to be told they must continue to accept cash from consumers who opt to pay for services in this way. The decision by NCT operator Atlas to go cashless. NCT Atlas, she just said there. That's the National Car Testing Organisation. And it recently said, listen, we're not taking cash anymore. There was a big backlash in Ireland. This way, the decision by NCT operator Atlas to go cashless prompted a backlash. Charlie Weston of the Irish Independent has this story this morning. And it's Michael McGrath, the Minister for Finance, Charlie, uh, that's taking action here. What's he doing? He is, Mary. He's written to all his um, Cabinet colleagues and he's told them to, to or he's asked them rather to tell the public bodies under their remit to keep continuing to or keep uh, accepting cash so that's whether those bodies are direct state bodies or semi-state bodies or whether they're under a contract like the national car testing you're absolutely right there there was an enormous backlash when the national car testing uh, company Aplus just out of the blue put a message on its social media saying we will no longer accept cash uh, and uh, they were forced into re- reversing that the government was very strong on that but at the, on the Irish at the moment if you want to renew or buy a driver's license uh, according to them those people the national driver license service you can't use uh, cash or a postal order or checks so it looks like that that is coming now that's going to change change as well. Um, there's a strong, uh, I suppose, antipathy towards this push for a cashless society. It doesn't suit everybody, Mary. Strong antipathy towards the push to cashless, says Charlie Weston from the Independent newspaper. Mary? But is it the case, probably in, in, in private enterprise areas rather than public bodies, that they're incentivising a, a cashless society? Well done, Mary. And this is what the genius Hayden Hewitt has been saying for five, six, seven, eight years. The agendas will be rolled out by the private sector. Would that be the case? Well, certainly the banks. That's, that's been, that accusation was made very strongly by the Financial Services Union, the union in the banks, uh, that the banks very much push people towards 
uh, going electronic, uh, you know, the, 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 the phone lines are not answered, ATMs are often not uh, replenished or serviced quickly or, or repaired, uh, long queues in banks. And we saw last year AIB forced into an embarrassing U-turn when it tried to go cashless in 70 branches and take out the ATMs as well. That move was was reversed as well. It was indeed. There was a bit of a backlash when the National Ploughing Championships charged more uh, to people who paid on the gate than to people who bought tickets online. Little bit of pushback against the cashless. 24 minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show. I'm Richie Allen. I think it's about bloody time we got our first guest on the programme today. Yes! Brilliant to be with you. Keep the messages coming in. This is EMF. It's unbelievable. Kate Shemarani is next. Don't miss her. The EMF and unbelievable 27 minutes. It is past the hour of 5 o'clock. Wednesday's programme. Thanks for your messages thus far. Uh, Keep them coming in the Richie Allen Show app or via the website richieallen.co.uk. Now, Lucy Letby has been described as a monster, as evil incarnate, and has been locked up for forever, convicted of murdering seven infants and attempting to murder six more at the Countess of Chester Hospital between 2015 and 2016. Yeah, it's uh, it's believed, or it, it was claimed, and she was convicted of um, using insulin uh, to do this uh, and, and starving the babies of oxygen, right? That's what was alleged. But a number of people, um, very interesting people and learned people, have been asking questions about this and saying that all is not well with this story. And one of them is my guest this hour. She's been on the programme before. We like having her on. She's a former nurse, of course. She made headlines uh, during the first and second lockdowns for standing up to lockdowns and claiming correctly that lockdowns would do far more harm to people's health than uh, than good. And of course, she suffered um, a lot of abuse for saying that. But to her credit, she kept going. These days, she makes radio programmes for UNN and TNT. Welcome back, Kate. Shemarani, how are you? I'm wonderful, and you always say, former nurse, and I'm still a nurse. I know, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, of course you are. Of course you're still Yeah, uh, so I'm very, I'm very uh, touchy about that. You're right. still a nurse. Give me a kick in the arse, I won't say it again in the future, you're bang on. (laughs) Absolutely, my apologies. Now, I, like everybody else, when Lucy Letby came to be sentenced, working daily in news production as I do, and... I couldn't help but watch it, and the summing up by the judge was obviously very austere, very stern, you're an evil woman and all of that, but you're not convinced, Kate, and you've, as you quite rightly corrected me, you are a nurse, a vastly experienced one. Um, Why are you not convinced of Lucy's guilt? I'm all ears and I'm completely open-minded. Go ahead. Well, it's not about being open-minded or whether one is closed-minded or personal opinions. If one looks at the law, it should be guilty beyond all reasonable doubt. But of course, they didn't use this. It was supposition. There was absolutely no evidence, no evidence that Lucy let me put air into a baby's um, uh, uh, venous line or any of the lines, you know, air into the, the blood system. And there was no evidence that she administered insulin either. This was supposition. And there was no evidence to prove what they were saying. And sorry, I've just gone up and downstairs really fast. <laughs> no worries. I, to you. I thought you were fit. So I sound Kate. out of breath. I thought so, you were physically um, fit, but no, I'm taking the oh, mic. I am. 
Uh, so, um, so the Countess of Chester Hospital, the, um, the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Healthcare did an investigation into that unit in 2015 to 16. And the outcome was that they said they needed two more new consultants and that the nurses roster, that's their off duty, their timetable, was non-compliant with standards. That means they didn't have the right amount of experience or nurses on for that unit. And it said that there was no individual criticism of any nurse. This is 2015 to 16. And, but there was, criticism of doctors not acting or the quality of what they were doing and they weren't acting quickly enough and lucy in, indeed in in uh, i think it was 2013 when the deaths were the lowest in that unit so she was in that unit from about 2010 was it yeah. and the deaths didn't begin until 2015 when the deaths were at their lowest she was chosen as the poster girl because of that so she'd been working there a considerable amount of time, so she would be very knowledgeable. She would have authority over other nurses. She was single. She didn't have any children. She was also short notice to cover shifts. So she would be there. It was her life. She was very dedicated. And when you read everything, clearly a very dedicated nurse. Now, um, Dr. Dr. Gibb, actually did state in the press that they himself and another doctor on that unit had made a serious error but in court when asked he said he couldn't remember and yet lucy had a, a colleague who corroborated to the police that yes that error was admitted lucy did find this baby with the monitors not on raised the alarm, gave the baby some resuscitation aid, whatever it was, I'm not knowledgeable in, in this uh, clinical area, and raised the alarm. And these two doctors apologised to her and another nurse on that unit corroborated that that was the truth. She remembers them apologising to her. And yet on the stand, he said, even though he'd said in the press that they'd made a serious error, on the stand, he said they couldn't remember. I think one one has to remember here that they're talking about her in the press, even though it was during the time when she would have the time to go for an appeal. And yet they tried her by press. They used the most heinous titles on her, even though there was absolutely no evidence. It was just supposition. And all of what they were stating does not stand up to scientific scrutiny. It's not possible. Let me jump um, in. Let me jump in for a minute. I'm going to read from the Manchester Evening News. Right, um, it says a note of medications given to a baby boy as he fought back from the brink of death was among items found under Letby's bed after she was arrested. The record of emergency drugs provided to the infant was written on a paper towel during his 30-minute resuscitation at the hospital's neonatal unit. It was said she gave rescue breaths to the baby child M after she responded to the cot monitor alarm. Earlier, she had injected air into child M's bloodstream and also poisoned his twin brother, child L, with insulin, which she denied. But she did keep the... It's alleged she kept the paper towel as a souvenir of her attack. Now, you said no physical evidence. Wouldn't that insulin have shown up in an okay, autopsy? Okay, so, so let's, first of all... Those babies, bar one, all at autopsy, showed deaths from natural causes. 
those babies were very premature babies and that unit was not equipped to take such young babies. And it also said in that investigation between 2015 and 16 that the nurses roster was non-compliant with standards. So they were, there wasn't the right nursing care there, they didn't have the right facilities. Now as for the paper towel, I worked on wards. I know that people say she's not a nurse. Yes, I was for a long time and I can prove it. And we would take the handover from the nurse in charge and told where we were working. And there would be specifics in that handover. I used to write it in a book. Then you would go to your specific area where you were working and you would take the handover from that nurse that you were taking over from because she would be going on her dinner or, or she would be finishing her shift and going home, whatever. Now, you might also, and I can tell you this, those paper towels, you might be taking a list of drugs that's being used there and then because you're going to enter it into the notes later or you're going to enter it into the system. I would off, I would even write on, on my glove. Many of us would. I've even stuck the barcodes from tetanus that we used to give on my glove to enter later. Often, you would go home with the note that you'd written, the handover notes. Mine was then in a book. You were advised to keep these for a certain amount of time. Sometimes you'd go on the next shift and they'd ask if such and such was done. And you would then get your notebook out and say, oh, yeah, yesterday. Mrs. Yeah, yeah, we did that. Yeah, the bloods were sent. The x-ray was ordered. So it's not unusual for her to have those. So what they've done is they've said, these are trophies. Every nurse in the country that I know and have spoken to, and I know that nurses have said it publicly, are now thinking, oh my word, but I do that. Right. Your code of professional conduct, every year a nurse re-registers. So you reckon and when, re sorry Kate, you reckon when nurses were hearing this and it was being presented to the jury and to the press as it was indicative a trophy, of a trophy, a trophy. That nurses would have yeah. been saying well hang on a second that's something I've done before let me ask you this then and this is the most contentious thing and this is what I have a problem with right the post-it note let me read it oh then... I know you were going to say that well of course I knew listen. you were going to say that well, because I... it's Richie when I do I finally meet you I'm going to slap you give me a slap in the mouth I can't okay. believe you've got a, you've got a problem with that note let me I'll, okay. I'll explain I'll explain why listen you're familiar with this show enough now you know you're going to get plenty of time to respond so this is the post-it yes note. So the post-it note says, I don't deserve to live. I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough to care for them. I am a horrible, evil person and I am evil. I did this. And before you jump back in, if the post-it note read, I don't deserve to live. I killed them because I'm not good enough. I would say there's a girl racked with guilt thinking, what could I have done? Maybe I'm not a good enough nurse, but I don't deserve to live. I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough. That's, I mean, that's the ultimate smoking gun. Why, why, why am I wrong? Well, first of all, that post-it note had all different coloured ink on there and it had all been scribbled over a period of time. It wasn't the only post-it note in that house. It wasn't the only one. There were lots and lots. Every year, a nurse, in order to re-register to work the next year, she has to tick the appropriate boxes and pay her 120 quid. And she is stating, she's making a statement of fact that she has done the right amount of hours, clinical practice, hands-on, the right amount of study hours, whether they're being sent on a study course or self-study, reading, reading magazines, you know, as long as you keep the publications, and that she's complied with all laid out in that NMC, taken over by the government in 2001, I hasten to add. Now, every nurse then has a scope of professional practice. She can only work in an area where she knows what she's doing. 
And if she doesn't know what she's doing, she has to say. And her safe administration of medicine, she has to know the medicine that she is prescribing, if she's a prescriber, or administering, if it's been prescribed, and what the side effects are, are what the contraindications are. Now, every three years, a nurse has to do revalidation. And for that revalidation, she has to present several reflective cycles. Now, I myself used to use Gibbs reflective cycle. So what you do is you write something that happened. You write uh, what you did, what went well, what didn't go so well, what you did to rectify it, what, you know, what have you learned from it? How did you feel during it? Now, this is a girl who was under investigation. So just to take you back again, there was that investigation done in the hospital. No nurse was found or criticised. No nurse, no individual nurse was criticised. And what they did was, because Lucy was the senior nurse in there, what she'd done, when her name was in that report, they removed that her name from that report so she couldn't face any, any uh, backlash because there was no criticism of her standards and her work, none. And then those doctors then went to the police and she was then under investigation. Those doctors stated... We think it's her. Now, just to go forward, I will knit this all together. In 2020, a baby was awarded 37 million in damages from a, um, a maternity unit. That's how much that baby got in medical negligence damages, 37 million. That's a lot of money Amazing. if you've got doctors. Now, those doctors, I will knit this all together, what I'm saying. Those doctors, it was said that... The, the, the doctors were not acting quickly enough with what they were seeing. Those doctors also were putting catheters, umbilical catheters in, and it stipulates you cannot try more than two or three times because you're introducing infection in a portal. They were trying 10 times. They were trying to get venous access and not managing. So they were causing considerable harm and pain to these babies. Now, going back to what you said about that note, Lucy then was removed from that department and under investigation. That was her life. All her friends were in that department. She was still, at first she was told she could only socialise with, with, I think, two, one or two of the nurses and one doctor, which we'll get on to. But then later that was lifted and she could. So she's under investigation, but she's still socialising with all her nursing colleagues from that department and a doctor who was given anonymity and the right to be forgotten, who was taking her out for meals, shopping trips to London, giving her his car, having very intimate texts with. I don't put love arts on the end when I'm having a text with a mate. So she was under all this terrible investigation. Her manager stated, who her manager trusted her and didn't believe that she was doing anything wrong. She, she, the manager stated what a terrible state Lucy was in. This was her dream job. She was a prem baby, a, a neonatal baby herself. It was a dream job to become a doctor, sorry, to become a nurse. Her parents were absolutely, you know, so proud of her. And here she is under investigation, under incredible pressure. She's clearly having an illicit affair with a married man who's older, and she finally admits it was more than just friendship. So she's trying to keep, you can see that she doesn't want to, to, to state who it is, and on that piece of paper, that one piece of paper, there's looks like it's several entries. Now, if you read all of it, and somebody did a great breakdown of it, 
she said they said now they've said i've done it it was all broken down and everyone's reading it straight across but actually if you read all the little individual bits this is a girl who she's saying her parents don't deserve her she wants to die she's under investigation she doesn't trust anybody she doesn't know where to turn she knows that she's done everything that she's meant to do and now here we are where the jury have been given anonymity for life so have the witnesses so have okay the babies and the families i could understand that little bit there's no evidence that she got the insulin or even injected it no one saw her or air that was just supposition that was and a point the th sorry sorry kid that was a point made by her barrister in summing up just just, ah. just to confirm something you said earlier um it is true that she wasn't convicted on any physical evidence she wasn't um, no, and this is a terrible day. Yeah. This is a terrible day for every nurse up and down the country. And also, just to throw a little caveat in here, you, the taxpayer, paid almost a million for Lucy Letby's defence, that KC. Who was that KC? That KC represented the inspector who was on trial for manslaughter after much investigation to the IOPCC. Finally... He was on trial for investigation for manslaughter of the 97 victims of Hillsborough. That was Lucy's KC. And then you have, so that's her KC. Now, straight away, the fact that he didn't pick up, he didn't bring any defense witnesses in. He didn't bring the nurse in who said, well, that's right. I remember them apologizing to her. That corroborated what she was saying, that they apologised to her because they didn't put the monitors back on the baby. Why? And don't forget the things that they're saying Lucy did. The doctors would have ordered all of these things to be done on these babies. Why was not a single doctor looked at? Let's say, let's say, Richie, your baby dies in a special care baby unit. You've been now, and, and I, actually, I'm going to tell you that straight up now. My children's godmother and my friend from before I got married, I got married in 1996, was the most amazing nurse. And she left nursing because of what she was seeing. And she went into being a bookkeeper. Her child was born at 26 weeks when she was having twins the same time as me. She's my children's godmother. I said to her straight after the verdict of the Lucy Letby case, I said, when you, I won't say her name, I said, when your daughter was in that unit, she was in there for one day, they blew her lungs apart when they intubated her and put, put her on a ventilator, it popped her lungs, that's what happened. And then they took her off and let her die in her mum's arms. Now, I said to her, tell me one word, don't answer me straight away, to describe that, that unit, that special care baby unit. And she said, busy. That's what she said, busy. It was the day before Christmas Eve busy and i said okay what was it busy with and she said it was noisy it was light these are premature babies and i said okay she said there was lots of people in there i said who so this is the, the staff that she reeled off cleaners workmen pharmacists hospital chaplain nurses doctors phlebotomists people from the hematology there was all different people came in from different departments Relatives, friends of relatives. Sounds like Grand That's Central Station, right? It sounds like Grand clean, Central Station. And cleaners. Yeah. And, and cleaners. cleaners. So why a baby's died? Have you seen them having insulin put in? No. 
Have you seen them having air put in? No. Or being Who assaulted. Had or being Who assaulted. had access to that baby? Who had access to that baby? Let me just do a quick summing up, right, because I want to ask you about something else. So, Lucy Letby, I mean, most people who get their news, regardless of whether it's here in the UK, Ireland, or the States, or wherever, they will know about the case. The woman has been convicted and sentenced to a whole life tariff for murdering seven infants and attempting to murder six more at this hospital between 2015 and 2016. Um, The present nurse, working as a nurse today, Kate Chemerani, who is on the programme today, Kate's not buying it and and believes, I mean, I'm going to sum up your position and you can can correct me, that it could very well be, and it, it, it could be argued, that the particular neonatal unit wasn't fit for purpose and that may explain the unusually high fatality uh, rate in, in that neonatal unit and that maybe um, there's a cover-up at play and Lucy Letby is basically the patsy for the whole thing. It's what you think. I, I, it's, you, you put it in, please forgive me, because you know I like you, in a crude way. So may I say in my terms... Yeah, go ahead, of course. The unit was clearly identified as as not being, um, you know, functioning to what it should have been. It didn't have enough doctors and the nurses, it didn't have enough nurses or enough skill, skill in there. And recommendations were made. They were also taking far too many um, very prem babies. So it was identified it wasn't functioning properly. The fact, you know, it also had leaking sewage above the baby cots and body products, blood, which the plumber was there on a weekly basis. So there, and there was an identical case in Australia just like that. And it was proven to be, again, they went straight for the nurses, never looked at the doctors, just looked at what nurses were on. And it was proven to be that leaky sewage, et cetera, that was the reason the babies were getting sick. So first of all, you have all of that has been identified. There's no evidence whatsoever. It's just supposition that does not stand up to scientific scrutiny. Therefore, um, there is a, a, a need for a retrial because justice must be done and justice must be seen to be done. Because right now, when Lucy was removed from that unit, the deaths did go down. But that was because they stopped taking such young babies. And remember, she was there from 2010 and the deaths didn't begin to climb till 15. Who joined in 2015? Why is no one looking at the doctors that came in 2015? And then when that unit, even though Lucy was no longer there, began to take younger babies again, the deaths began to climb and were higher. So based on the fact that one baby in 2020 was awarded 37 million in payout, what are we looking at here? Is that, do we have a motive? I'm just putting this as questions. That's very good. Yeah, I like it. You're not uh, saying for a fact. Yeah. Homicide is far cheaper than medical negligence. Are we looking at a motive there? Second, we have identical cases. Uh, Lucia de Burke, for starters, those, both those nurses were exonerated. Can I just say, can can I just, say just briefly, one of our listeners, Elizabeth, um, who is herself Dutch, says to us, this case seems to have clear similarities with Lucia de Burke. She stood accused of five murders and two attempted murders, was convicted, given life in prison 20 years ago. It was appealed in, and in 2010 she was freed after a statistician gave expert evidence stating... That's Dr Gill. Yeah, statistically Dr. it was Gill. impossible to conclude 
that she was guilty. Maybe Lucy Letby's offence should explore similar avenues for appeal. Well, that is, please tell your listener, thank you so much for writing that in. I am in correspondence with Dr. Gill. I've also interviewed Dr. Gill on TNT. You can listen to that interview. It's very interesting. It was a couple of weeks ago. We have a meeting every Friday and Dr. Gill is on it. And Dr. Gill also, during the trial, had a visit in the middle of the night from the Dutch police sent by the British police telling him that if he didn't take down his blog, he would be in contempt of court and go to jail. So are we, so that my first point here is, there is a lot of people looking at this. My first point is we have a, we have a possible motive. Was that motive to cover up negligence? The second motive is, dare I say it, are we looking at the big boy club here, the judiciary system, the police, the doctors, Freemasonry? No one dare say it. I will say it because I've had many doctors just last week tell me they they were asked to join the Freemasons um, and they all protect one another. That's just my thing. My next thing is if Lucy Letby is indeed innocent. It's horrible. We are looking at a group of doctors who stood trial, uh, sorry, who stood in that trial as as uh, giving giving evidence for the uh, for the what do you call it for the for the crown you know to convict her yeah um so but they weren't senior doctors then they were junior doctors they were junior doctors and if we are looking at a patsy as you called her we are looking at the greatest miscarriage of justice and that means that babies are still are still at risk and it means that every single nurse in the country should be on her feet and behind Lucy because they are not safe. Now what's actually happened is Lucy's manager has been suspended and you had a doctor come out and say, well I said remove Lucy and she said not and then she said she'd take responsibility for any more deaths on the unit and this manager, this nurse manager who's now suspended, she said I would never say that. Of course a nurse wouldn't say, well, when I'm home, I'll take responsibility for all the deaths that happen. Of course you wouldn't, because you'd go to jail for manslaughter. So now this nurse is arrested, uh, sorry, is, is um, suspended. Is she going to be next for manslaughter charges? You've seen another unit in Nottingham being investigated. Every single nurse. Now, what, what I will say is this, Richie, which is quite interesting. The Prevention of Euthanasia Bill of 2000, April 2000, of which Anne Winterton was pivotal, clause 17 in that anti-euthanasia bill states that doctors can keep their anonymity before, during and after the trial. And if you breach that, or you even allude to anything that could, could reveal their identity, you will be in serious trouble. And this was to protect doctors because they cannot be found guilty, wait for it, of murder. Because they said, oh, doctors will be afraid to treat. They can only be found guilty. They can only be found guilty of, I think it's it's negligence or misconduct, something, something that would require that they'd be struck off. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't be found guilty of murder. You've now, actually if persuaded. We then apply- Sorry, sorry, you've actually persuaded the, the lion's share of those texting in. Have you've persuaded them that there there might be something very wrong here? You've not entirely persuaded me. It's compelling. Well, know? let me let me let me give you the last bit. Yeah. of because I do tend to waffle. That's all um, right. So do I. That's but the, but the point is that that prevention of euthanasia bill is very important that everybody reads that right now because they're overturning, they're doing everything 
to 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 kill the patients basically because it's all about money you know that i don't need to tell you that you you look at my tweets look lucy letby's now had the right to not be tried in the press it used to be that they put your head on a spike outside parliament what we're seeing now everywhere is the trial by press first they'll go after everybody they've come after me you've seen it done to me and what's actually happening is she was the the worst serial killer that no she wasn't you had Harold Shipman you had some others you had Gosport that's going on 35 years after it happened yeah all those patients that were murdered why is that doctor not in you know suspended so this is what the press are calling are all these heinous names the the jury were forbidden under oath to look at any of the science they were forbidden under oath why I'm taking your so word you for have, that now because I don't know that to be all, true. So I'm taking all, your word you for it. You can go and read it all. You can go and read it all. You can listen to the. I'll Dr. tell you Gill. this. You should get him, get him on your show. I'll get him I'm on. I'll tell you this. Thank you. I'll tell you this, Kate. I I I I will accept this argument. It, it you'd have to work very hard to convince me that her jury was impartial. And what I mean by that is, um, there had been so much in the press about this before uh, this came to trial. Now, of course, the judge will admonish jurors and will warn them, you know, about bias and to forget about One anything left. they read. One left. Yeah, yeah. One left. Yeah. And also, it wasn't... Listen, that judge, uh, Goss, his name was Goss, he was also the judge in the case with the three, I think they were Asian, and they were trying to do an insurance job on a car, and one of them got killed in the incident. And he took a majority, a majority vote then. So this is not um, everyone has to be uh, clear and that this person is guilty. Uh, otherwise, it's a hung jury. He took a majority. It took an extraordinary length of time. I'm going to nine give you. Months. Hang on, I'm going to give you about sixty seconds, but no more to sum up in a second. I tell you where I am. It's compelling the case you make, and you've obviously done, you know, um, a lot of research into it. You've watched it. You've done your homework, so you make an excellent case. And yes, I believe there are serious questions to be answered, no doubt about that. What I can't get by, and you don't have to come back at me, I mean, you're going to sum up anyway. What I can't get, I cannot get by the note, number one, and I cannot get by the fact that Lucy was present um, all the time. She was there for the majority, if not all of these, um, unexplained deaths, and that's an issue for me. But look, well, what I, about the doctors? What doctors were present? Very good question. Time? And look, I've been doing programmes like this now for over... Uh, 11, 12, 13 years. I'm completely open to cover-ups and to patsies and scapegoats and I know the state of the NHS. I know that hospitals have been in special measures, that certain units have been absolutely deplorable. All of this is plausible, but I don't know. I can't come down on one side or the other. But it's been brilliantly compelling. Um, I'm going to give you um, a minute to sum up and then, sadly, because it's flown by this conversation, we'll have to uh, part company just for today. But it's been great having you back and listening to this. Um, your final words, Kate, and I will not editorialise. You get the final word. Go ahead. If you are a British citizen, you owe it to yourself as a taxpaying British citizen to familiarise yourself with science on trial and look at Facebook groups and everywhere at the people that are questioning this. Because if this is indeed the greatest miscarriage of justice that the UK has ever seen, babies, future babies are at great risk. And you must do your due diligence because today it's her, tomorrow it could be you or another nurse that you know. 
Kate, you're on TNT weekdays at um, noon. Is that right? Oh, they've offered me a second show now. They're looking for a second spot. They yeah. like me. They'll take Come anybody. On, I'm on on Sunday at 11 a.m. GMT. That's 12 midday British summertime. Medical crimes in tyrannical times. And I will introduce you to Dr. Gill. Do. Sounds like an interesting guy. And maybe you could get guy. him on your show. I've got him. Yeah. Did you know that as, um, I mean, he's getting on a bit, but did you know that Robert De Niro is going to play Harold Shipman in a Netflix um, film about Harold Shipman. Did you know that? I I didn't, but can I leave you with this? Well, let me tell you. Do you, do you know the name Harold of the movie? Harold Shipman was in the. Harold Shipman was the the barber in broad in uh, was it broad? No, what was the prison he was in beginning with B? He was the in the prison. <laughs> no as way. As the barber. I had a man at my house having lunch last week and said, oh, I was in prison the same time. And he gave me the prison. It began with B. With Harold Shipman, he was the barber. He says he was really strange. Broadmoor sounds right, but you ruined my gag, Kate. You ruined my Did gag. Go on, give me your gag. I yeah, so Robert, De Niro, Robert De Niro is going to play Harold Shipman. Netflix are producing it. Uh, the working title is The Old Deer Hunter. <laughs> it's terrible, it's terrible. Well, I will tell you boom, this boom. much. Familiarise yourself, everybody, with that, and then go and take a look at the Beverly Alec case. Um, you know, it's nothing is as it seems, and if the last three and a half years have taught you anything, it's that your government are not your mummy and daddy, and they do not love you. I'd probably go as far as saying they don't give a rat's ass about you. You're just a commodity. You'll get no arguments here. Good to have you back, Kate. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so speed. much. Bye for now. Take care. Kate Shemarani. Kate's a nurse, the natural nurse in a toxic world. We mentioned TNT. She's um, you, you'll find her on Twitter too. Put Kate Shemarani into Twitter. You'll find her. Follow her there. Thanks to her. Very interesting that I find it. Broadmoor says Jean Anne. I think so, Jean Anne. Yeah, Broadmoor, not Brixton. Uh, Brixton is no. Is there a prison? There's no prison in Brixton. Uh, thank you for your comments. You um, well, you have sympathy with Kate's position on this uh, particular issue. I mean, I hope and I really do hope that Lucy Letby is guilty. Because if she isn't, it's unimaginably horrible, isn't it? Imagine being locked up in a, in, in a jail with a whole life tariff and the people you are surrounded by, other prisoners, the staff, believe that you murdered seven babies and tried to murder more. Imagine being innocent in that situation. That is almost Dante-esque, isn't it? I couldn't imagine that. So I hope she is guilty. But imagine if it is because of failings at the hospital. And it's a cover-up. Imagine, just imagine. I would imagine, he keeps saying imagine, that we will see a Netflix documentary or a true crime documentary in the not-too-distant future if there are people working on that case who do believe she's innocent and who might have a bit of clout, who might have a bit of skill in that area. It's just gone six o'clock. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live from BBG Towers here in the heart of Salford. I'm Richie Allen. It's time for a tune. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more. Baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, I just started going out. I just started going out when that was charting. Hadaway, what is love on the Richie Allen Show? 
It is fast approaching five minutes past six, Wednesday, the 20th of September, 2023. And I'm Richie Allen. Listen, this I'm, I'm so looking forward to chatting with Nikita. I came across her. She did a wonderful podcast with Dr. Ahmad Malik. We love Dr. Ahmad Malik. He's a great bloke, isn't he? Uh, by the way, do do check out, uh, do check him out on Rumble. Uh, there's a bit of bad news concerning Dr. Ahmad Malik. Um, we'll talk about that uh, maybe on tomorrow's programme, but uh, it's to do with um, people coming after him because of some of the things he's been doing. But anyway, we'll leave that for now. I know he's been speaking about it on social media. But I came across this brilliant podcast and um, he was interviewing Nikita and she said some magical things. And one of them was that a beautiful birth is healing to anyone who witnesses it. She said that she thinks about birthing 24-7 and how it can be improved and poses the question, how many women have a beautiful experience while giving birth? Is the process, the one experienced by most women in maternity wards up and down the country, is that harming the child somehow, the mother? Nikita Stark joins us. Um, go to whenpushcomestoshove.co.uk later on. We'll mention that again. It's lovely to welcome you to the show, Nikita. How are you? Hi, Richie. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm brilliant. All the better for having you on because this is a lovely thing to be talking about and very positive. A beautiful birth is healing to anyone who witnesses it. Yes. Tell me absolutely. more. <laughs> okay, so in my humble opinion peace on earth begins at birth. It's interesting to see so many people are becoming aware that they have more autonomy than they thought they did. Um, Let's call it in the the freedom fighting community. But there's a topic that goes largely unnoticed by uh, a lot of these people, and that's birth. Um, I think women don't really know much about birth until they become pregnant and then by that time there's an awful lot of pressure and a lot of information to take on board and it can become very overwhelming and what I've seen over the years unfortunately and I don't let me make a disclaimer um, some of you that are listening might be quite triggered by what I'm about to say Um, but I encourage you to see it as a positive thing because all it can do is help you help others and to heal. So I apologize in advance if I do offend and not not offend, but trigger anyone. So let me be perfectly clear. The maternity system has a habit of sabotaging birth. Now, that doesn't mean that the well-meaning individuals who are working within the system are sitting up at night with a pen and paper thinking of ways to annoy anyone or sabotage anyone. I don't think that's happening. I think it's a combination of poor education when it comes to understanding physiological birth and a fear-based maternity system. So what happens is women start their pregnancy quite often happy, healthy, and they leave feeling downtrodden, traumatized, and a feeling like their body has failed them. But rest assured, for the most part, your body hasn't failed you, the system has failed you. And this is so important to address because 
whether you think it affects you or not, it does. We're all born. We all have mums and dads. Not all of us have children, but we have friends and family. And how you start your first breath is very important. Now, whether that baby is born into a sea of oxytocin, the the love hormone, which nature has intended for it to be, or the baby's born into a sea of cortisol and adrenaline. And our cells carry memory. And a lot of women suffer from what I suppose is mother wound. Our cells remember our trauma. I'm sure a lot of you listening are familiar with um, understanding that, about survival mode and how our bodies have memory. And unfortunately, a traumatic birth will have a ripple effect, not just on the mum and the baby, but the whole family unit. So a mum who has been denied her rite of passage, that incredible empowered experience that we're built to have, quite often comes away feeling like she's been, her body's totally failed and postnatal depression can begin. Physiological problems can happen. So if the birth has been interfered with, women don't realise the long-term consequences that a bad birth can, um, uh, well, what can happen after that. And then there's a whole ripple effect. Yeah, stop there, stop there. Fascinating, you won't believe it. Comments absolutely flying in already. I'm not going to read one straight away because I don't want to stop your flow, but I've got to ask you, before we talk about these, the, the problems and the issues that can arise, let's talk about the 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 garden variety maternity experience and and ultimately labor experience because from what i understand it's i i don't have any children sadly nikita but but obviously friends have had children so the 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 dad to be the mum to be they're given a due date or thereabouts and as time gets closer to that there's obviously a little bit of excitement a bit of anxiety the waters break and then they all fly off to the hospital for the birth. And what I'd like you to take us through, and you've got all the time you need to do this, by the way, um, is is tie in some of the experiences. Let's take it step by step. So, you know, you get into the hospital and, 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 and explain to us what happens and why you think some of that can be problematic. And I'm gripped, by the way. So just to clarify, you would like me to talk you through the systemic process of birth. The systemic one, the one that most people here yeah. in Salford would experience. But but as you're going through those steps, kind of help us understand why those might be problematic and why they might be negatively impacting mum, baby, dad and the wider family. Sure. Um, it might be helpful if I give you a, an analogy um, first of of what birth is meant to be like so for those of you who haven't had babies let me explain how natural birth works first so then then you'll be able to see the problems if if you'll allow me to do that of course um so natural birth is heavily reliant on a hormone called oxytocin and it's our love hormone we release it when we make our babies when we have sex and we release it when we birth our babies. So babies should be made in love and born in love. That's what this is all about, love. Now, just picture this for a second. Imagine you were making love with your partner and you were having the most amazing embrace. You were right in the moment, it's euphoric. And then someone smashes open the door, turns the lights on, 
about four strangers come in the room, start staring at your genitals and say, hmm, I think you might be able to climax, but probably not. So I'm going to be here to watch just in case. Let me just put you on this beeping machine here and let me take your temperature. Do you think you'd be able to get back in that moment? Possibly not. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) So it's the same with birth and all these adrenaline stimuli will cause a woman to stop the physiological process. And then they use this awful terminology, failure to progress. Well, no wonder. Now, just imagine that we were alive a few thousand years ago and we're about to go into labor and we're wandering the tundra and then we see this big, scary, bitey, toothy animal thing. Our body takes messages from what we're seeing from our eyes and says, right, that's a danger. Don't go into labor now release adrenaline so adrenaline stops oxytocin from releasing and what it does all that lovely rich oxygenated blood that is meant to be facilitating your birth in your uterus it flows to your arms and your legs ready to fight or fly or freeze so the same thing happens yes we don't have those predators that much these days but what's the modern day equivalent what what stimulates adrenaline bright lights Feeling of feelings of being observed, hearing other women give birth, strangers putting their hands inside of you. And then we're told that our bodies failed us. So <clears throat> to answer your question, I'll give you a very typical birth scenario uh, in 2023. So uh, a, a woman is pregnant and, and she goes over her due date and I'm not that you can see this, but I'm doing this in air quotes because we might get into that later. But the due date thing, oh, <laughs> don't get me started on right. due date. So a woman is told, right, you're overdue. You have to be induced. Now, problem number one, women are only as informed as the information they have in front of them. And if you've got very limited information from your 10 minute appointments, You don't know there's more questions to ask. You're assuming they have your best interest. And I believe most of them do. But then again, they're only as informed as whoever trained them. You know, it's it's like um, allopathic medicine versus naturopathic medicine. They, they, They treat the symptoms. They don't look at the cause. So you're told to go in for an induction. Let's say your waters are broken. So if your waters are broken, they give you 12 hours. In the 70s, they they just send you home with a thermometer to make sure you haven't developed an infection. And they say, make sure the baby's moving as normal and come back when you go into labor. Because think, don't quote me on this exact, but I think it's 97% of women would have gone into labor within 72 hours of their waters breaking. So they'll say, come in for an induction. They don't tell you the risks of induction for the most part or they'll tell you a couple and leave quite a lot out they 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 don't in fact this is really important maternity care is only eight percent category a evidence-based so you'd be hoping right if they're telling you to have a medical intervention be it a cesarean operation or a drug to um or artificially your labor it should be based on evidence but and you're saying it isn't nikita you're saying it isn't it's uh, not. No, wow. No, eight percent category A. So they measure evidence between category A as being awesome evidence and E as being crap evidence. And only eight percent is category A evidence based within the maternity system. 
The Co a Cochrane review found that maternity care is the lowest evidence-based medicine there is in the whole field of medicine. So you go in for this induction. Now, what a lot of women uh, are, are not told, first of all, how important is this induction? Because sometimes you can go in, say, on the Friday afternoon, and you don't even get induced till the Monday. So is that really an emergency? Does the baby really need to come out that quickly? They'll say, oh, you've got a big baby. Like, what, what's a big baby? Like we do, it's not a, a fish in a bathtub. Babies don't outgrow us. <laughs> So, and then, well, your baby's big, we're going to induce you. My question would be, oh, will it shrink the baby? Okay. So <clears throat> you go in and th there are lots of other drugs that they can, can give you. But what most women end up having after failed inductions, and yes, failed inductions happen all the time. So don't expect to come out with a baby in a few hours. Look, I'm not saying this happens to every single woman who's induced. I have to make that very clear because some women can have a positive experience with induction. But it's important to let women know that many don't. So they give you a drug called Syntocinon. If you're listening in the States or Canada, it's called Pitocin. And it's a synthetic form of oxytocin. So that hormone I was describing to you earlier. Yeah, the bliss. It doesn't work like natural oxytocin. It doesn't actually get to your brain. So it doesn't put you into that blissful birth bubble where you're you are the epitome of a human being, not a human doing, not a human becoming. You just are in that, in your essence of your divine femininity and, and you're birthing this baby. You've got a portal between your legs. It's just incredible. It doesn't work like that with, with Pitocin or Syntocinin. What it does, it blasts your uterus with unnaturally strong, hard contractions. So understandably, the mama might ask for an epidural. An epidural, yeah. Yeah, because it's overwhelmingly painful. You don't get a gradual build-up of natural contractions. It's bam, you know, in, into the big guns. And the pain releases the cortisol, the adrenaline then. It yeah, flo floods sure. mum's system. And, and the babies, obviously. Yeah. And then what tends to happen, they don't tell you, well, I've never found a woman that's actually been told what's in an epidural. It's 50% bubuvacaine and 50% fentanyl. Remind us what it does, Nikki, to the epidural, because what, what comes to mind for me is like kind of spinal tap. It numbs it? everything, yeah? yeah? Yeah, so they um they put like a, like a little tube, I suppose, in your epidural gap in your spine, and um, the, the, the epidural drug will go into your spine and it should numb you from... Um, well, the waist up. Uh, sometimes women get numb legs, um, but you can have mobile epidurals. Um, I, I'd love like five hours to talk about this, but yeah. I don't want to stick on one subject for too long because I'm trying to give like a macro view. So the epidural will render a woman on her back, which is a ghastly position to give birth in. I mean, would you go for a poo lying down? <laughs> it's, just, it's not conducive to a physiological process. And, and then when you're on your back, your pelvic outlet decreases by 30%. Do you, do, do you mean the, the ability to, to squeeze or to push, to use those muscles, is that what you mean, decreases? It, it does, yeah. Yeah. What, well, you're not using gravity to, to bring the baby down. And then the other thing, imagine your pelvic outlet, so your pelvis, 
you've got the inlet and the outlet and the outlet is you know when the baby comes out and you open your legs and the, the pelvis opens up that that space decreases by 30 percent if you're on your back so imagine your tailbone flat against a bed how can it push back how can it open up if you're laying on your back so the epidural it it stops the pain, which is wonderful. And this can be a very liberating drug if women are given informed consent and they actually understand the risks and the benefits. But seldom does that happen. So you're lying on your back, the labour slows down because you're not using gravity. You're not doing what nature is telling you to do and move around and wiggle your hips and, and get into all sorts of fancy positions. And that, that makes sense, that. That, that. that makes... In, you're painting a picture of a really uncomfortable I nearly said traumatic but that would be me editorialising I shouldn't do that because I I should be some some somewhat um on the fence here but I'm, I'm I'm loving this but but it sounds like uncomfortable yeah let's say what you've described and you're right I mean I've never been at a birth we've seen them on television you know we, we we've seen sometimes cries of pain and screams and and all of that and people shouting and midwives shouting and raising their voices we've seen all of that and I can understand how that could be stressful and I can totally get how that could have some sort of long-term impact on everybody this is really important stuff I'm, I'm so glad can I read a few comments please I'm sorry sure. to, to stop you and then um, look at it it's already 22 minutes past the hour so Unbelievable. Um, Edwina, my God, Nikita is so correct. Well done. I've been through exactly what she describes and it is absolutely correct when she says we feel our bodies fail us. It can be barbaric and uh, I know I was left traumatised. Isabella's French. I remember watching a documentary on babies being born in nature, especially in natural water bodies like lakes. And when born in water, the baby would then swim back up to the surface on its own. It knew how to do it naturally and the research demonstrated that born in this environment, the babies showed physical and mental superiority in the long term. Oh my God. Nelly says, I've heard holistic therapy looks at birthing the same way as Nikita is describing it. A bad birth can affect the relationship between mum and child. Julia says, uh, I'll come back to that, Julia. Uh, and there was one from, there are lots. Nicola says, uh, Nicola Lund, journalist, uh, writer for the Conservative Woman, listening to this. My granddaughter had a traumatic birth. My daughter almost died. We know my granddaughter is on the autistic spectrum. Um, I think it'll be mild Asperger's. I'd love to know if Nikita thinks the trauma being described could be one cause of these spectrum disorders. Now, that's just for starters. There's another 50 or 60 comments there, by the way, that have come in. You've, you've, um, you've stirred something up here, Nikita. Well, first of all, I'd like to say, ladies, remember who you are. Just because you weren't informed at the time, it doesn't mean to say you can't heal. And I feel very emotional listening to that because I I hear it all the time and it shouldn't be happening. But, but don't worry, you know, call me. We can talk through some trauma sessions, anything to help you cut these shackles of being quiet. And this is the other thing. Women don't talk about it. Do you know the reason I started this? When I had my first baby, when I was 21, it was awful. I felt raped because I had vaginal exams, which I didn't give consent to. They just did stuff to me. And do you know what I see? Even if women end up with a cesarean operation, as long as they've made informed decisions the whole way through and they've been in control, there's no trauma. It's when you feel birth is happening to you, like you're a piece of meat that's when it gets disgusting and it's not acceptable. And we as women 
we don't need to put up with this and we can do better. But I'll talk to you about why I've created When Fish Comes to Shove because it is the alternative. Yeah, that, 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 that was my next question, obviously. Um, and I want to give a, a mention to the website again, whenpushcomestoshove.co.uk. Please make a note of this. When push comes to shove uk and do that thing you do reach out to Nikita and say hello to her through her website she's on uh, Twitter as well this is fascinating is the birthing process the bog standard one is it harming the family yes. is it harming the mum the child yes. no, I, I know yes. I, I know you're going to say no, I'm, I'm just summarising here um, <laughs> we're speaking with Nikita Stark who believes yes and she set out to do something about it and you know I'm I'm genuinely sorry you, you went through that I mean that's one of the, the look I'll never ever understand what it's like to carry and to birth a child but it's got to be one of the most momentous things in a woman's life and to go from I cannot wait to introduce my baby to the world to thinking that it felt like being violated or raped how horrible for you how yeah, horrendous and we suffer in silence and when I had my first birth I spoke to my grandmother and I said nanny how how is um, trauma like this so normal and she was so clever she said it's not normal darling it's common and that just sparked something inside of me and I've been obsessed ever since but let me just briefly finish telling you about this induction process as I was saying earlier about the contractions getting stronger and stronger you don't feel that extra pain because you've got the epidural so it slows the labor down and then they up the synto drip then they up the epidural and then because your womb is being compromised of oxygen because of how overstimulated it's being baby goes into distress and then you end up needing an emergency cesarean operation or an instrumental delivery with forceps or a ventouse and it's almost like the system want you to thank them for saving your baby for something they bloody started now i'm not saying every single induction is unnecessary but i will go so far as to say most of them are and you're allowed to ask questions the lady who asked about the correlation between asperger's or autism there are studies that link induction because we if you just have a fleeting glance on obstetrics for the last 100 years we know one thing we don't know enough so unless something is an emergency i suggest we don't interfere with nature now in the 30s they were giving all women x-rays on their pelvis to see if they were big enough to birth a baby that gave babies cancer they stopped doing that in the 50s they had a drug called thalidomide. I don't really need to explain about that. In the 90s, they were giving women a drug called Cytotec to induce labor from previous cesarean sections and it ended up with thousands of dead babies and ruptured uteruses. And I don't need to mention the recent medical intervention that's been happening, but the point is we don't know enough. Now here's the catch, right? I'm not here to say home birth or free birth, which is an unassisted birth, is inherently safe because it's not. Birth is not inherently safe, but don't let them make you believe it's inherently dangerous either. And I'm not here to say, oh, everyone should birth under an oak tree with the drum yeah, beating. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that. What I'm passionate about and obsessed with is choice. If you want to book your elective cesarean, you do it, girl. Go and do it if that's what you want. But you make sure it's your choice and you make sure you're not coerced. I'm not here to say, yeah, you should have a home birth, you should do that. If that's what you want, I will give you as much information as possible. We, we've, I've, I've had, I've, in the last couple of years, I've trained 120 birth practitioners because we need practitioners who understand physiological birth to specialise in it, 
like you 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 wouldn't go to an obstetrician for a natural birth obstetricians are trained for when birth goes wrong it would be like going to a mechanic to get your nails done yeah yeah so it, it the point is if you want a physiological birth and you want the space to do so you either do a hell of a lot of research and you need to be able to advocate for yourself, which is so hard to do because when you're in a hospital and they're pulling the dead baby card and irresponsible mother card, of course you're going to acquiesce to that. And I'm not saying in that scenario, there might be a serious risk to your baby, but do you have enough information to make that decision? Can I ask a couple of quick questions? Um, Brilliant um, question from a very good friend of mine who's listening. When did it happen begin to happen in hospitals when because obviously like we've got great grandparents and great great grandparents and presumably they gave birth at home and maybe there was a local lady who knew what to do and it was all much more simple do we know exactly when it became common to go to hospital yeah so after the second world war when the nhs appeared um community midwives were usually um, the, the forefront of maternity services, but it became almost a trend to go to hospital. So like a status symbol. So women thought, Oh, I'm actually going to hospital. I get a break from my kids. I get to be waited on hand and foot. And it became a status symbol. Now the problem was they were advising all women to go to hospital instead of just high risk women. Now high risk is a story for another day because it's totally subjective and you know just because a woman is 39 years old should she be called a geriatric mother and be put in a high risk category from a study that was done 200 years ago hang on a second if you're 39 are you considered to be a geriatric in terms of labor over 35 you're kidding me no (laughs) yeah i can't believe women put up with that i mean i'm not making a silly laddish joke here but we know about women and and their age right I mean, that's that's mad. That's really mad. Yeah, and they tar everyone with the same brush. You know, midwife is an Anglo-Saxon word that is meant to mean with woman, but it doesn't mean that anymore. It means with system. And we train you to be with woman, not not to serve the system, to serve women. And you know what the biggest problem is? Fear. And where there's fear, there's more fear. And we're not going to get anywhere in this world if we have all this cognitive dissonance and separation, vaxxed, unvaxxed, black, white. No, bollocks. Sorry, excuse my French. No, it's good. It's welcome it's here. About unity and, and, and getting rid of the fear factor. And I hate to sound like a hippie, but to be honest, that's what I am. The only way <laughs> we're ever going to fix anything in this world is through love. And I don't mean the emotion. I mean the state of being. And this is the bloody problem. We are so in our heads with fear all the time. We no longer know even how to access that divine wisdom that we were born with, your authentic self, your that we call it your gut or your intuition. I have never seen a woman with wrong intuition, not in 15 years. But because we, we come up, fear from all angles or you're overdue you're too fat you're too thin you're too old you're too high risk you had too many pregnancies you've had too little pregnancies you've had too many cesarean sections you haven't had enough you can't bloody win anxiety high risk yeah anxiety cortisol um yeah the fear a a quick um a, a speedy summing up now 
Nikita Stark is on. When push comes to shove.co.uk, get on there. If you know, uh, if you know a pregnant person, I'm joking. I'm joking, Nikita. I'm joking. If you know a pregnant person, if you know a pregnant woman, because only women can be pregnant, dear listener, uh, you get get your lady friend to go to when push comes to shove.co.uk. The birthing process that happens in hospitals is not good for for a lot of women, says Nikita, and she's trained birthing practitioners. Um, there's another way, and she's letting as many people know in the world that she can that there is another way. And this is a beautiful phrase you said earlier: "Peace on earth begins at birth." The the act most of the time when 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 a child is conceived, most of the time it's an act of love. But you're saying that in the typical maternity setting, uh, the baby isn't born in love or or often isn't born in uh, through love because of all the issues you've described earlier on. Let me do a couple of quick more comments and you come back in and tell us more then about when uh, push comes to shove.co.uk. So Darren, this is beautiful. Um, both my children were water, water births, an experience that was only offered to us um, due to extreme back pains my wife was experiencing. Uh, because the calming measures it created with the birth of our daughter, we chose to go down this route for the second child. So it was so good the first time, we did it second time. A hugely overwhelming experience, but a wonderfully beautiful moment while sat on a space hopper, I love this, beside <laughs> the water birthing pool. Go on, Darren. That's wonderful, isn't it? And, and not negative now, but Annette wants to back up what you said earlier on. Uh, so from from the sublime... To, to the crazy, really. I was induced with both my children, Richie. Tell Nikita, says Annette. With the first, they came and gave four of us in the same ward an enema at the same time prior to being induced. We had to scarper to the four winds to find a loo. Well, that's hardly tranquil, is it? Katie, when was this? An enema? An enema. They, they stopped doing that in, like, the 70s, yeah. I believe. But they, in the 80s, they used to give all women routine episiotomies, so they would cut their perineum with scissors. They still do that now. Yeah, Annette might have had the, the children in the 70s. Yeah. She'll get back to us and tell us, no doubt. But Darren, <laughs> Darren's experience, absolutely beautiful, tranquil, it, peaceful. It yeah. It's gorgeous. And, and the issue we're facing now, it's bizarre. Like, as more women are having a radical awakening and they're remembering who they are, they're deciding, hey, I don't want to go through the system anymore. And you know what? You don't actually have any legal obligation to engage the NHS. It's an optional service. You don't even have to see a midwife if you don't want to. It's called a wild pregnancy. And then giving birth without any assistance is called a free birth, 100% legal. But what women are finding now, if they don't toe the line, they get referred to social services. So a huge part of my job is sorting that out. So we have um, an advocacy um, helpline and I work with a company called the Autonomy Hotline. So we help women who have found themselves in deep water with social services. You know, they've ended up having a section 47 to look to having their children removed because they had the audacity to wait for their placenta to come out instead of having the injection to have it or to decline vaccinations. It, it, autonomy is bizarre in this day and age. Um, now, I, I do understand the need for social services because there are some very sinister characters out there. We do have baby farming. You know, you do have these poor women being taken into hospital by their uncles, in inverted commas. Um, you know, we have to have uh, vigilance here because there is real harm being done. But 
the safeguarding thresholds. So Birthrights 2017 states that no midwife should be making a referral to social services on the basis of a free birth alone. But yet that is the most common call I get from women who are saying I free birthed and I've been referred to social services. I'm terrified. That is disgraceful. More fear, yet more fear. And the very system that is designed to help you ends up re-traumatizing women because they've had a past experience of lack, lack of control. And then it happens again and again. Do and you... there's a lot of gaslighting going on. <clears throat> um, the, uh, Richie, we could have, you know, Hours. conversations. Yeah, because I know, I, I know that you're not really familiar with, with, uh, with, this, uh, with this show, which, um, which, is, which, is, which is great. This is something I've I've covered many times over the years, um, family courts and social services, and I've I've interviewed ladies who decided that they would allow their child's natural immune system develop before they were to to think about vaccines in the future, and they did have health visitors come along and then social workers. So I know this is going on, and and that's the reason I'm not contradicting Nikita and asking uh, yeah. her to pull the other one because we know. Uh, this sort of stuff goes on. Imagine that a, a woman, an autonomous woman who's carrying her child with her intuition, and she knows best for herself, I'm going to have a free birth because it's going to be a quiet environment, it's going to be peaceful, and our child's going to come into the world and, and she's going to have a great start. And that you might have to defend that and worry about losing the child post-birth because social services have gotten involved. That's the, Do you know what? We'll do a show on that. Um, it, yeah. If you're up to it, because I know all about this. It's Absolutely. And I can um, provide listeners with tools to circumvent those situations and how, how to navigate. I have courses on how to navigate the system. Um, but to fix all these issues, the issues that arise from fear, we need an army. We need an army of birth keepers. So I don't train midwives. That's a protected word of the government. So I can't do that. Um, but nor do we do any clinical practice. I have to make that very clear. We, we're not medical. We don't give you medical skills, nor do we provide medical care. We, we provide holistic care and we teach holistic skills. Um, I myself and my business partner recently founded a company called Artemis Birth Attendant Academy. And we are taking enrollments for our one year course. You don't need to have any medical background or A-levels. You just need an open heart and an open mind and the willingness to study and understand physiological birth because we teach you everything on that course from cranial osteopathy, um, naturopathy, homeopathy, twins, breach. Um, and then we center everything around, you know, making you feel safe and like growing with your self-development so you can hold space for a woman. And <clears throat> it's about non-judgment and understanding physiological birth, not the medicalized role, you know, if, if you do want to train with us, your remit ends when there's an emergency. But seldom do I actually see that happen in physiological birth. And I'll give you an example. So many women think, well, you know, I, I had an actual uh, emergency. I had preeclampsia. I had a, um, <clears throat> a placental abruption. But it makes me so sad because they're not told that these issues arise from nutrition or nutrition um, deficiency. So, a placental abruption, for example, that's when a placenta is separated from the uterine wall prematurely, and it can be a very, very dangerous ordeal. Um, but the reason that happens is because we're not eating enough protein and not having enough salt. So the system tell you don't have salt, <clears throat> but here's the here's the truth. So women who have um, preeclampsia, toxemia, 
High salt diet, 37 in a um, 1,000 births will have that. Low salt diet, 97 in a 1,000 births will have that. Placental abruption, high salt diet, 17 in a 1,000. And I think it's 30, 32 in a 1,000 with low salt diet. We don't get the, the nutrition um, information that we should be having. It can all be prevented with nutrition. And, yeah, and yeah, do you know nutrition. what? There's a, there's a very clear recipe for a good birth. You need to feel safe and loved and wise. That's it. Let me, let me read some comments. Nikita Stark is on the show. When push comes to shove.co.uk, get on the site, bookmark it, share it with women who are pregnant. And um, I've got to read these comments. And thank you for sending them in, um, uh, dear listener. Christine, friend of ours, Limavadi, in uh, Northern Iron. She says, Richie, friend of mine had a baby eight weeks ago. She was told she was having a big baby and needed to be induced three weeks early. Three days later, she had to have a C-section Lo and behold, the baby wasn't big at all. They're doing well now, but it was a terrible experience and she was very sick afterwards. That's Christine. That's, you know, backing up what you've been saying to us. Um, uh, Nikita, Devi says, I had two home births and one unassisted in the 2000s. I could only do that because I was out of the UK. Some people called me irresponsible, but I still treasure those experiences. And Anne, who's 68 now, thank you, Anne, three caesareans, First was induced, 20 hours of labour, had to wait for the doctor to be called, epidural went wrong, was pulled out and reapplied, so traumatic it still affects me now at 68, says Anne. And by the way, Annette came back to say that crazy story where four women were given enemas and then they were scarpering for the loo, 1987, Anne excuse me, Annette says. Wow, 87. 87, yeah. Well, I'm I'm so sorry to hear about these traumas, and I'm, you're not alone, ladies. And the lady who had the free birth, go on, girl. <laughs> well done. Fantastic. Well done. You know, you could if someone's saying you're irresponsible, you could argue the same with women going to hospital because statistically, you're far more likely to end up with like birth trauma. I I home birthed my baby. I would have been terrified to go into hospital. And but, do, you know, do you know what? we've got 10, 11 minutes left today. And I, I, I knew, see, I kind of set you up, really. I said, we, we, you can come on and with 50 minutes, we'll, we'll cover loads. But I planned on a part two in any case, right? So we're going to run out of time before we get really into the problems on the energetic level that this can can bring about. And I want to get into that with you. And we can also talk then about navigate, navigating the, the system and the, the social services. So we'll, with your permission, in a fortnight's time, we'll do a part two, Nikita, because it's, it, it has obviously flown by. And you, people, people know anyway, go on, comment live on richieallen.co.uk. There's a massive amount of comments. And through the app, there is a Richie Allen Show app. Um, we've had dozens and dozens of messages from people uh, that have been touched by this, really. Bridget says, please ask Nikita if they still use vitamin K straight after birth. Do they? Yes. And why is it relevant? Uh, all right. <clears throat> so they say that when babies are born, they are deficient in vitamin K. This bothers me because to say a, a, a human being is deficient in something suggests that they should have it, but they don't. So ha, has nature got that wrong? Um, I'd question that for a start. So they worry about something called vitamin K deficiency bleeding, where it's, it's very unpleasant when it does happen. It's very rare. 
but you are allowed to ask questions, you know, and always take the Socratic method. It doesn't, it doesn't tend to work when people go in, guns are blazing, telling everyone what they know. It just causes more fear from the opposition. So instead, remember, you're not on trial. It's not up to you to prove your body won't fail you. It's up to them to prove it bloody will. So you can ask them questions. Like, what percentage of babies experience vitamin K bleeding? How long after birth? What are the symptoms? Does the method of birth have any implication on vitamin K? So if they were pulled out by their head by forceps, does that have any implication? Yeah. You you know, you're allowed to ask these questions. For a big baby, they worry about a shoulder dystocia, so the baby's shoulder getting stuck. So you might want to ask them, what percentage of babies in your hospital have a shoulder dystocia after an induction? What percentage of babies experience a shoulder dystocia from mums lying on their back? This is and incredible. This is incredible. I, I would imagine most people wouldn't think to ask questions like that. That's why this is so valuable. When push comes to shove.co.uk, you're getting a blueprint here, ladies and gents, of, of how to approach. If you are going down the maternity ward route, listen to what Nikita has been saying there. There are questions you can ask. I was definitely pulled out by forceps. You can see just about the indentations. I don't look like Frankenstein now or anything like that, but the indentations are there. And it probably explains why I have an IQ of 51. But um, yeah, that was, that was in 1974. Forceps ripped out, yeah. Here, a couple of quick questions. I'll tell you what we'll do. With the few minutes we have left, I've had some one and two line questions from listeners. So I'll ask those for you, right? Uh, two. Um, let's go to Bill. Is it Bill? Hang on. It's Richie. Richie asks, please ask Nikita if the umbilical cord is cut too soon or if it's cut at the right time or if it should be left intact a bit longer. It should be left intact until it is not pulsating anymore. Wait for white. So if you cut an umbilical cord as soon as that baby's born, that baby will lose a third of its blood supply. A third? A third. How common is that, do you think? Very. And that's panic stations, isn't it? Into the incubator, into the, um, but yeah. they, they just do it. It's, it's just common practice. A lot more, a lot more, look, I'm going to be fair. Many hospitals are now encouraging um, delayed cord clamping. But when I say delayed, they're saying like a minute. You need to wait for white. Wait for that cord to stop pulsating. It's full of millions of stem cells that that baby needs. It's theirs. I can't believe I have to say this, but babies need their blood. And to yeah. don't cut it. Um, there's a, a, a midwife called Amanda Burley, and she has studied and tried to educate midwives that you can resuscitate on the cord. So if babies are born a bit flat. The first thing they'll do is cut the cord and take it to a resuscitation. But that doesn't need to happen. You can resus a baby on the cord. But, you know, they're, they're ob obsessed with guidelines. It doesn't matter if there's any logic behind it. And here's the crazy thing. So they'll say oh, you know, the data says this, that, and the other. But if, if you actually want to understand physiological birth, but you're getting data from women giving birth in a hospital, how's that make sense? You can't understand the behavior of animals by observing them in a zoo. So if you've got women giving birth in hospital under these adrenaline-stimulating conditions, how can we actually understand physiological birth? How do we get that data from observing women in clinical settings? Look, if, if we had um, a hypothesis, let's study how ferrets give birth. 
And we watched them in a scientific lab and they heard other ferrets giving birth and they had BP machines and they weren't allowed to have a, a dark a dark or dim lit room in a little cozy nest. We would have to conclude ferrets can't give birth very well. Yeah. Listen to this. DJ's been in touch. Me and my girlfriend are expecting our first child. Second visit to the midwife, we were told my girlfriend would need three injections and that if she didn't have them, we would be reported to social services for neglect. What? That's DJ. Yeah. So, which injections? Can you... It, yeah. You know, it, it, come, come back quickly, DJ, as quick as you can through the app with the, the nature of the injections you've been offered. So Nikita can... Um, because we are rapidly running out of time. But while we're waiting for that, uh, what did I... Let's, God, there's so many of these. There are so many. Um, let me go back to the website, because there was a really interesting comment on, on the website there from Elizabeth. Has Nikita noticed any change to the process uh, since the jabs were introduced? Have the jabs made any... Have, 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 ha having any impact on labour, as far as you're hearing? Yeah. The COVID yeah. jabs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that needs a whole other show. And it, it's awful. It's awful. The, 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 the women acquiescing to that through fear. Like, in fact, what that, that um, gentleman said, we'll report you for neglect if you don't do it. I've heard that happening. But yes, there's definitely some issues going on. Um, I don't want to say too much about that at the moment. No, I appreciate that. No, let's park that for, for a future yeah. show. Suffice it to say, whatever is going on, our media is completely uninterested, as is the political class, uh, completely uninterested in vaccine injuries, um, serious ones, or I don't think there's any such thing as a less serious vaccine injury, but completely uninterested. So yeah, we'll park that for another day. I'm hoping DJ can get back to us and um, elaborate on the jabs his girlfriend has been offered and uh, and declined as well. I'm assuming it's it's probably um, anti-D. Uh, so if your rhesus negative blood group, uh, they worry about rhesus disease. So if the baby is not rhesus negative too, there can be a problem. And it's usually in subsequent pregnancies, not the first. Um but women are becoming wily to the fact that uh, anti-D actually is made of blood products. So a lot of women are now declining it. Um, but if you want to know anything about uh, rhesus negative blood and pregnancy and anti-D, research Dr. Sarah Wickham. There is nothing she doesn't know about it. Um, and, and she's got a very beautiful, balanced view. It's not dogmatic. It's not never do it or you should do it. It's very balanced. She's got the evidence. So look up Dr. Sarah Wickham. I like that. Here's the, the here, 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 yeah, I love that. Here's the advice or here's the evidence. Now you make your own informed decision. Margaret says her son's birth was induced. Nobody told her to expect really strong contractions from the outset. She thought if the pain is going to build from here, uh, she was definitely going to die. It was horrendous, very traumatic. And then she says her son has had a troubled life and maybe the birth and and that experience now has something to do with her son having a troubled life, listening to Nikita. And I'm going to give you the final word right before I do. When push comes to shove.co.uk, Nikita Stark is on the line. Uh, go to the website, um, use the resources there, 
if you know some, if you know a, a, any woman, friend, uh, girlfriend, cousin, uh, let her know about the website and that there are options. And I really love that bit where you talked about asking questions. Very important to make lists of questions and not to be shy about it. After all, it's your experience and you should be in complete control of it, uh, says Nikita. When push comes to shove.co.uk, the website hyperlink will be on the podcast notes when this goes on the podcast, iTunes and all that later on. I'm giving you the final word, knowing that it's to be continued and we'll speak again in a couple of weeks. Uh, Great to have you on, Nikita. Over to you, final word. Thank you so much for having me, Richie. So just want to quickly mention, if you go to the website and click on freebies, we you can download free template letters. It's a little ebook, and it gives you <clears throat> the correct sort of method for asking these questions. And there's loads of um, scenarios in there. So that might be able to help you. My final word is this. Women of Earth, take back your birth. Remember who you are. And you are here through a miraculous divine sort of miracle whichever way you see the world remember who you are just try and get in contact with that wise innate knowing that you were born with but you have since forgotten and this applies to everyone if you need help please come to us we have a telegram community of over 4,000 people it's called awakened pregnancy and birth you can find me on instagram when push comes to shove or on facebook um and it doesn't matter how old you are, if you're still suffering birth trauma, please come to me and we can book in a one-to-one on Zoom. If you need support, we've got a directory of over 120 natural birth practitioners. And if you want to train with us to change the world one birth at a time, get in touch and peace on earth begins at birth. I love that. And what you said to Ahmad was amazing. A beautiful birth is a healing experience for everybody who witnesses it. Nikita, an absolute pleasure. I'll be in touch, of course. Um, I'll, tw- I'll link to you on Twitter when the podcast is live, which it will be in about uh, 40 minutes or 35 minutes or thereabouts. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you and thanks for sharing your time with us. Thank you, Richie. Thank you so much. Take care. You're very welcome. Bye for now. Nikita Stark, when push comes to shove.co.uk. And that's about it for the programme today. Um, let me just tell you, during that conversation, 447 messages came in. Um, and I'm sorry, there's no way I can get through all of those. But um, very approachable, Nikita. If you have a question for her, go to the website when push comes to shove.co.uk. Thank you so much to her. And thanks, of course, to Kate Shemarani for being on the programme with me earlier. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Dean Henderson returns to the programme. He's been a friend of mine for many years, although it's been quite a long time since we've heard Dean on this programme. His amazing wife, Jill, has managed to, to gather and to collate the archive of the old hendersonlefthook.wordpress.com website. Dean is a fantastic author, a wonderful researcher, knitting, knitting together a geopolitical event and explaining them and putting them in context in terms of what, what's going on and where we're going. He's a, an amazing bloke, is Dean. He's back with me uh, on the programme tomorrow. Um, and there was something I had to tell Yeah, Dr. Ahmad Malik, who um, I've really enjoyed having on this programme. He's um, an orthopaedic surgeon. And you know he makes a podcast. You can see it online. It's on Rumble and other places. The hospital he's been working for has left him go, has let him go. Yeah, it's an overused cliche. Tyranny, it's tyranny. Because, without giving him any reason, it's obviously down to the fact that, um, like, like, like other GPs, 
but he's not a GP, of course. He's a he's an orthopedic surgeon. That that's his specialty. But but like other doctors, he's had the the courage, I think, to you know come out at, at risk to himself and to his reputation, and to talk about vaccine harms and the madness of lockdown and and all of that. So very sorry to hear that about Dr. Ahmad Malik. I had a lovely conversation with him today. He's very upbeat about it. He's going to take it on, of course, legally, and he's going to continue to make his podcast. So more power to him and uh, and, and all the best to him and his family. That's it then. Until uh, tomorrow's uh, th- Thursday, it's Stevie Wonder. That caught me by surprise. Speak tomorrow. The